Good morning. Hey, glad that you're here. Um, you know, parts of the service that you have no idea about that I'll just give you a little insight. So there's three monitors right here, and they all have a timer on them. And um, I get 40 minutes. Now, I don't always keep to 40 minutes, but I'm supposed to keep to 40 minutes. But I want to show you one of the reasons why I can't stay on time. They started that timer before I even got out of my seat, right? So before the announcements were over, they started the timer. So that's illegal is what I say. That's illegal. You cannot hold me to a timer that's already going before I even get up here. So, hey, glad that you are here uh, this weekend. We're going to finish up a series called The Life You've Always Wanted, and I think you'll like the message. But I want to give you um, a little information about next weekend, what we're doing. Uh, we're going to begin a new series called uh, Non-Negotiable. Um, and we're going to be talking about, over a few weeks, what are the things in life that regardless of what happens in the media, regardless of what happens in politics, regardless of what happens in our culture, what are the things that we build our life on that are simply non-negotiable, right? Because those are the things you need to focus on. Those are the things you need to build your life on. Those are the things that won't be changing. Those are the things that we put our hope in, right? And one of those things that we're going to look at next weekend, and this is why I'm talking about it right now, last year... Uh, right before the start of the school year, um, I just had it in my heart to pray over teachers and to pray over students. Little did we know what the school year was going to be, be bringing, right? And so this year, we want to do that again, but we're adding this other element to it because we're, we're pretty unsure exactly how the school year is beginning, how it's going to go. I know it's becoming a little more crystal, but many of the parents that are raising children are going to be teaching over the next few weeks. And that is, some feel prepared for that, many feel unprepared for that right there. Many are gulping right now and hoping like there's just got to be another way right now. And here's what I believe. Well, I want to pray over our students and I want to pray over our teachers. I want to pray over parents this year like crazy as we head into this school year. We want to anoint you. We want to plead the blood of Jesus over you. We want to ask that God... Would um, here's what the Bible says, man. When when things come in that are um, that are ungodly, when we find things that that happen that just seem like uh, you know it's just going crazy all around us, the Bible says grace much more enters the picture. So I want to just give you this hope real quick that it may feel like I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't know if I can do this and I, I just don't know what's going to happen with my children and and what. Here's what I know. God's grace is going to overwhelm, it's going to pursue you, overtake you, surround you, and it's going to be your constant companion during this next season that we're going into. So we want to take a little time next weekend. That'll be the first non-negotiable, is that we can go to God, we can ask for God's protection, His favor, His help, and that God will always, always come to our aid. Do you believe that right there? That's a non-negotiable. So we want to take a few minutes in the service next week to pray over children, to pray over parents, to pray over teacher, just believing that, um, that God, even if it looks to you like, I just don't know what's going to happen, I can tell you that regardless of what you see with your eyes, our God is good, and he will come to our aid, and he will be there for you. So we want to take that moment uh, in the service to pray for those people, but I also realize that um, maybe one of the handicaps that we're having to deal with right now is we can't uh, have children's ministry. And because we can't have children's ministry, we're taking a large portion of our church out of the live event. They're watching online right now, right? They're participating that way. But, you know, imagine those of you who are parents, 
who uh, maybe you're past raising little ones, but put yourself back in that season for just a moment. I know, uh, but just go back there for a second. Do you remember what it was like when a parent walks in here with two or three little ones and they're trying to listen to a message and they're trying to keep their children quiet and they're trying to keep them from disturbing other people? It, 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 they try it one time and they're just like, Pastor, when children's ministry comes back, we'll, we'll be there. But for right now, it's just not practical, mostly because they're worried about disturbing the people that are in here. Right? And I appreciate the sacrifice that they're making, but I hate that they have to make it. So just this. We want to pray for those that are in person next week, but I also want you to know if you're at home, we're going to take time and we've got something special that we want to do for you. We'll actually ask you to stand and we'll actually uh, teach you to kind of be us, lay your hands on your children and pray. We'll lead you in the prayer and you just pray with us. But whether you watch it um, you know, via the, the broadcast or whether you're here live, we want to just take that first weekend, next weekend, um, and, uh, and, and do that. And then, by the way, let me just say this. Chris is actually going to tag team with me on the message a little bit. So she hates getting up here. This is not, I love being up here, and she likes being right there. It's a great combination, man. But um, my wife is, <laughs> she's a tremendous teacher. Um, she's very gifted, um, and she is, you know, if you're just ever like, yeah, he's just like so strong and just goes for it because I'm balanced at home by the one who is so soft, right, and so tender and so, so gentle, and so Chris will tag team with me in that message next week. I think you'll, you'll really enjoy what we're going to do in the message, so I just wanted to give that to you ahead of time, and then this scripture, um, you know, when we... When we, um, when we said yes to the Lord about starting the church, we were in a church in Fort Collins, uh, Loveland area, and we had a great situation. Our children, when we moved here to start Jubilee, Amy was going into ninth grade, and the twins were starting kindergarten. And we had Kate and Brent right in between that. So we had all the school ages covered. And I was willing to give up everything I had and the ministry that I had there to come and do what God had put in our hearts to do, right? But the thing that I really, really struggled with, what will happen to my children? Because I've got too many pastor friends who have sacrificed their families for their ministry. And so they got this great reputation, this really powerful reputation of being great pastors. But man, if you look at their marriages and you look at their children, it really gets messed up. And I'm just gonna say this, I just think that you don't have to choose God or choose your family, you can do both. You really can do both, man. You can balance it. You have to make hard choices and you have to say no to other things, but you really can balance it. And so in the, in the process of coming to start the church, we, we were totally willing to do it. We wrestled through the season, but I asked the Lord, God, I need something for my, just show me that my children will be okay. Does that make sense? Show me they'll be okay. And the Lord gave Chris and I this scripture. It was a promise that we have just, whenever it seemed like our children were suffering or being attacked or being misled or whatever, we just went back to this promise. And I, there's a point for me reading it to you. So it's Isaiah 54 for anybody that is taking notes or wants to read this outside of this moment. Isaiah 54, uh, verse 13, and it's just a couple of verses. And this is the promise that the Lord gave us. I will teach all your children and they will enjoy great peace. You will be secure and under a government that is just and fair. Your enemies will stay far away. 
You will live in peace and terror will not come near you. What a promise, man. What a promise. I said, why share it with you right now? Because this is what we believe to have been true and we've watched it. We don't think it was just for our physical children. We think it was for all of our spiritual children that we would pastor through the years. So we think it's a promise that you can count on also. So if you're looking at a school year and you're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Your children will be taught by the Lord himself. Great will be your peace and your composure. Enemies will not come in and have their way and you will be in a secure position when it's all said and done. That's the promise of the Lord, man. That's a non-negotiable. So that's what we're talking about next week and uh, we're gonna kind of camp there, talk about that, teach on that. So I think you'll, you'll enjoy that and you'll get a lot out of it. Okay, enough of a, there's a mini message you didn't even have to pay for. Okay, let's, uh, let's jump into this and finish this. The life you've always wanted. It's the last message in the series. Uh, Kate taught last weekend and did a great job with it. Really, really proud of her. Uh, I know that it was online and many of you, um, you know, uh, what a surprise, right? You're ready to go to church and then all of a sudden um, you're, you're getting the information of, hey, we can't have church. So let me just talk to you about what happened. It'll kind of work into the message this weekend. Um, I'm gonna talk about the life you've always wanted and trusting God, because here's what I believe. If you are a believer, you can't have the life you've always wanted unless you learn to fully trust God, right? If you're still wrestling for the control of your life, can I just say this real quickly? When you're in that position of wrestling for who's gonna be Lord of your life, it's a brutal battle that you end up in, man. God just doesn't take second place. And even though he, he won't force you to make him to be the Lord, something is always vying to be the, the Lord of your life. And nine times out of 10, we are the ones vying to have control of our life. And we live with this really funny thin veil where we think we're in control. And every once in a while, circumstances around us show us that we really aren't in control. And that's not a fun place to be at. So let me give you the last 10 days, uh, maybe 12 days now, of how things are and have been for us and where this message comes from. This isn't a message that's just theologically correct. It's a message of where we're living our lives right now. So there's a lot of passion with it, and it's really, really helped our hearts. So maybe it will help you. So um, we began uh, about uh, two weeks ago, just not, not quite two weeks ago, um, looking at our staff. And this has been such a weird time for our staff, man. Many of our staff can't do their ministries because there's no way for them right now to do their ministries. They're here this weekend. Many are sitting downstairs right now. I poked my head in the children's church right before coming up here. Both children's pastors are in there and nobody's in there with them right now. I said, you guys doing okay? And they said, yeah, we're okay. But I look at that for many of my staff right now and they just for months have been unable to do their ministry like they're used to doing it. They're having to do it via a Zoom meeting right now. They're having to do it being trying to, 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 to visit somebody with masks on. And it's just so weird right now. And I've watched the enemy have a field day with our staff and just pull at them from the sides and asking them this question, is it even like you're supposed to be doing this anymore? And I felt my staff was just getting pushed and pulled in this weird way. So I thought, God, what can I do just to rally the troops real quick? Here's what we did. We just did a one-day retreat, took them all up to Vail, an overnight in Vail, just brought them together, spent some time laughing and spent some time playing, spent some time, you know, just, just feeling normal for 24 hours. 
How good is it to feel normal right now, right? Just, just spending that little bit of time together. And, and we have this great retreat. It's really short, but we have this great retreat. And we come back and instantly, man, these two things happen. Chris and I stay there because we're gonna take a quick vacation. We haven't really gotten away. And 2020 has just been so weird. We wanna go down to Durango, Colorado and just spend a few days in Durango. So the staff gets done with their part of the retreat. Chris and I stay one more night, and then the next day, the two of us are gonna leave and go to Durango. The staff comes back, and here's the two things that happen. We go to make a reservation in Durango, and we and everybody else that lives west of the Mississippi wants to go to Durango, Colorado. And there was not a hotel within, listen to this, 100 miles of Durango, Colorado. What's in Durango? Every person in the western half of the United States is in Durango. So all of a sudden we're like, hey, uh, we, we can't go. What are we going to do? And at the very same time, three of our staff come back from the mountains and get exposed unwittingly to COVID-19. And so we're just like, wait a minute, what happened here? What are we going to do? And it's the first time the staff has been exposed through all of this. Can I just say, I only know three people during this whole time who have actually gotten this disease. Three people. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't more people that get it. I'm not saying that, look, we watch the news every day. The news is great at giving us numbers. The news is great at giving us fear, 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 fear. Bad, 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 dead, 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 dead. Yes or no? Can I just, dude, I am so over COVID-19 right now. That doesn't mean it, 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 it doesn't matter that I'm over it. But I'm over it, man. I'm just tired of hearing about it. And, I, and the worst part about it is we're going to keep hearing about it. There's no end date. Let me go to Durango and get away from it. For Can't get away. So we come back to Denver. Um, we've got to take some of our staff and, and they've got to quarantine themselves. And we're trying to figure out how many people have been exposed in the meantime. And it's just this crazy thing. So we think we get on top of it. And I look at Chris and say, okay, we can't go to Durango. Let's go out of state for a few days. Let's just, we're sort of semi-empty semi nesters. Let's get out of state for a few days. We'll just plan to, to, to you know, we'll get Brent set up and uh, Brent's our, our child that lives with us and, you know, s s special needs. And um, so, so we get him set up. He's 30, 35. And uh, uh, we're going to take off uh, out of town for a couple of days. And, and right prior to us going, the weirdest thing in the world happens, man. This, this person in this red truck, how do you know it's a red truck? So I've got this video camera, right? This guy begins to stop at our house at odd hours, ring our doorbell to see if we're home. And when we're not home, he starts going around the side of our house. So he starts casing our house, right? It's just this weird thing. And so Chris is like, John, I, we can't leave town and leave him here with this going on. And I'm like, I don't even, maybe he's just trying to sell us something. So why is he on the side of the house going to the back door? Maybe he's selling something for the backyard. I don't know. I, so I'm not sure what it is. This is the worst thing happens is, um, so we're planning to try to get out of town and I had bought airline tickets and now we can't use the airline tickets. And, um, so I, I'm sort of in my garage feeling, you know, like, God, what is going on here? I can't stand, I can't go, I can't, I, I, I have no control. What a lousy feeling it is to feel like you have no control. And I'm standing in my garage, kind of belly aching to the Lord. And all of a sudden it's about nine or nine 30. And here comes that red truck down my street real slow, Right. And the garage door is open, and I recognize it, so I step out, and when he sees me, he just takes off, boom. So now I'm like, okay, we can't leave. Something weird is going on. So by the way, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's nothing, maybe it's something. It's just strange, right? 
It's just strange. So we can't go to Durango. We can't go out of town. So I said, okay, you know what? Uh, we'll just go to the office. We'll work this week. Um, well, it turns out that the COVID thing had begun to spread amongst staff, potentially. So I have to close the office. At least we get to have church next weekend. Nope. And I'm just going through this time, man. Have you ever been there? I can't move forward. I can't move backwards. I can't go left. I can't go right. I'm out of control. Ah! Ever been there? It's like this control thing. And who's in control? <laughs> and that's where the message comes from. Who's in control? Proverbs 16, verse 9. It's a scripture that I've used many times in my life, especially if I'm talking to somebody else who feels like their plans aren't working out, who feels like their dreams and their hopes are being taken away or they just can't accomplish the things that they want to do, or their life's not going the way that they want it to go. You ever been there? So normally when I'm counseling someone else who feels that way, I'll quote this to them, Proverbs 16, 9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Yes or no? We're really good about making our plans. We're really good about deciding we're going to go here, we're going to go there, we're going to do work, we're going to whatever. But the truth of the matter is, man, you think you're in control, but truly, God is the one who's in control. And here, then, here, here's the thing. I'm not saying that God sold out all the hotels in Durango. And I'm not saying that God sent some strange guy to our house to case it. And I'm not saying that God closed our office. And I'm not saying that God kept us from having church last week. But I am saying this, regardless of what happens, you either choose that God's in control and he can use it for your good, or you choose that everything's just gone out of control and you're just stuck in this whirlpool. And the difference is life and death. So I find myself in this situation of like, God, I'm making all of these plans, but it's just not coming together and having to believe that I make my plans, but God determines our steps. And then this really interesting thing happens. When I'm reading the word this week, I come across Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Lord puts two and two together for me and it just makes so much sense. Jesus is well aware of finding himself in a place where he can't go forward, he can't go backwards, he can't go left, he can't go right. So he goes to the Father with it and he begins to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's the message this week and I'm gonna call it the Gethsemane prayer. When you're in that place where you feel out of control and you don't know when something's going to end and it just seems like bad, 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 bad all around, what do you do? How do you survive it? How do you be okay? How do you keep your heart in a good place? So in Luke chapter 22, and by the way, you'll find this in two other gospel stories where it talks about Jesus on the night he's been betrayed and the process of beginning to give his life for us. The very first thing that he does after the dinner, where we call it communion, but it's the Passover meal. The very first thing that Jesus does when the Passover meal is over is that he gathers the disciple and he goes out from the upper room across the Kidron Valley and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the garden, he went there often to pray. And so we find Jesus just doing what he did when he felt like things were out of control. In Luke chapter 22, verses 41 and 42, Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond the disciples, knelt down, and here's the Gethsemane prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me and this may be the most significant part in my mind, yet not my will, but yours be done. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, 
yet not my will, but yours be done. I think that there's just three parts of that prayer that are really powerful. And I think if you find yourself in a situation where you're just like, God, I'm just so over this and I can't get away from it. And God, it just seems like it's all around me and I'm trying to make plans, but I feel out of control and nothing seems to be working right now. And I don't know what I'm going to do about school. And I don't know what I'm going to do about my job. And I don't know what's going to happen this fall. And God, they say we're in the first wave, but maybe there's a second wave and God only knows what's going on. Maybe this prayer then becomes accurate for you right now. Maybe it's in the Bible, not just to tell the story about Jesus going to the cross. Maybe God left this story in the Bible so that when we find ourselves in a place where we want to get away from something, but we can't get away from it, maybe it's an example of how we can pray. Does that make sense? Did you hear what I just said? Maybe it's an example of how we can pray. So the first part of it is just simply Jesus saying, Father... Some of the translations don't even use the informal term father. They use the word Abba. Recently, I taught that the word Abba, A-B-B-A, is not a Swedish band from the 70s. Abba. <laughs> Some are like, what? 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 what is that? You missed it, disco. Um, Abba in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke. Abba is the word like when a baby first learns to say mama and dada. It's, that's Abba. So it's the most informal yet intimate title that you can give to a parent. You get that? It's the most informal but intimate title. Look, there's only a few people ever in the world, if you're a parent, that will call you mama or dada. Only a few. Um, I, I've taught this before. Think about this real quick. Um, when people meet me, it's always very formal. Pastor John. If they don't know that I'm a pastor and I'm traveling, I check into a hotel, it'll be Mr. Leach. Very, very formal. Uh, if we go beyond that, it's Pastor John. If we go beyond that, we get a little closer, it's John. But then, man, the most tight and close people that know me the best call me dad. And here's Jesus in his moment of need, not approaching the father as, oh, mighty potentate, oh, God of the heavens. He just approaches him simply as dad. I wrote this in my notes. It's not in yours. Listen to the sentence right here. Are you always aware of God's constant care over your life, Julia? Are you always aware of his tenderness, of his compassion? Are you always aware that he's close to you, that he cares for you, that he's concerned for how you feel, that he's on your side, that he's taking up your cause? Are you always aware of God's constant, wonderful care over your life? And if you're not, then I would say you're probably disconnected from the thought that he's your father. You probably know him as powerful. You probably know him as mighty. You probably know him as God of the universe. But do you know him as Abba? Being a parent probably helped me understand scripture better than few things ever had. In fact, being a parent helped me know the Bible much better than going to Bible school. Being a parent gave me a perspective about how Jesus and the Father saw each other, related to each other, talked to each other. Jesus never lacked for believing that the Father's constant care was around him. He always felt the Father's constant care. And you can feel it too. And if you don't feel it, then I would say to you, it's because you're not relating to God as your Father. 
Now, I've had people tell me over the years, oh, Pastor, uh, you know, good message, I get it, but I had such a cruddy earthly father that it's hard for me to relate to God as my heavenly father. The two things are just, you know, so miles apart from each other, and I project onto God all the stuff that my earthly father did. Here's my cure for it. Stop! <laughs> Knock it off! I bet you don't project onto every person a bad experience that you have with another person. If you do, I bet you're the most dysfunctional person in the world. <laughs> Hello. Is there anybody in there? Not if you can hear me. Listen. Stop that kind of silly thinking. Just because you had a bad experience with someone else doesn't mean you can't have a good experience with another person. I've got two neighbors, right? I won't even do which side. One side? I don't like them. I just, I just don't like him. But the other side, he's great. If I were to go, all neighbors are like this person. Dude, I will never, how dysfunctional is that? I just look at it and go, this guy's a weirdo. But this guy's great. I wonder what they say about me right now while I'm standing up here. <laughs> it's silly to go because I had a bad experience with my earthly father. I can't relate to God. Stop that. We don't do life like, I can prove to you that you, just because you had a bad experience with a person doesn't mean you go through life projecting that onto everybody. Stop it, man. See, your father is good. Luke 5, 16 tells us a little truth about how Jesus lived his life. And you'll find this in the Bible over and over and over and over and over again. So many scriptures about Jesus doing this that it, I, literally over a dozen scriptures that mention in some form Jesus doing this, Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One more time. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. His connection to God came through prayer. Prayer is not this formal, here's my list, let me tell you what all my needs are. Prayer is constant contact, talking to God, listening to God, back and forth. Prayer is not something you do first thing in the morning. Prayer is what you do all day long. Prayer is what you do when you're happy. Prayer is what you do when you're scared. Prayer is what you do when you're winning. Prayer is what you do when you're losing. Prayer is what you do when everything's going your way. And prayer is what you do when nothing is working out. And if you've learned to pray only when you're in crisis, yes, you have a right to pray in crisis, but you're missing the best part of prayer. Prayer is not just for crisis. Prayer is to talk to God so that you experience his constant care all day long. All day long. Here's a sentence. It's not in your notes. Listen to my sentence. Listen to this. We miss the gifts of God when we fail to get with God. Let me say it one more time. We miss the gifts of God when we fail to get with God. We're always asking God to do stuff for us. God, can you take care of this? God, can you help me with this? God, can you bring this relationship this way? God, can you take care of my children? God, can you make sure that my finances are going to be... God, God, do, do. God, God, hear, hear. You have full right to ask those things. But somehow, our talking to God is always about a list of we needing God to do things. Can I just say the easiest way to experience the gifts of God is just to spend time with God. The byproduct of time with God is the gifts of God. And somehow we've got it backwards where we're trying to go to God to get things 
Rather than, hey, can I tell you the best thing to get from God? His presence. Get his presence and you have. So how would I say this? When I made the statement a few moments ago that being a father probably helped me understand theology better than going to Bible college, here's why. Like with my kids, when my kids need something, I mean, how weird would it be? Uh, great pastor of the church. Oh, the one who birthed me and the one who watched over me and the one who knows all the things that I need. Could you please help me get a loan? I would be like, who are you, weirdo? What, what? You can't be mine. The milkman. I don't know what you are, but... Wow. My wife goes, wow. I don't know where that came from. I, I apologize right now. <laughs> you can't get this in any other church. I just want you to know right now. Nobody else. <laughs> Very sorry. <laughs> it seemed funny in the moment. Now, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> Did I tell you Chris is going to be up here teaching next week? It's going to be great. <laughs> we miss the gifts of God when we fail to get with God. Man, my children never come. And so like, if they approach me that way, I would be so like, where, where's the relationship? It's when, so I didn't ask permission for this, but she's, she's told me it's okay from time to time if I want to share about. When Ames went through the divorce, and for those that have been around Jubilee, my oldest daughter, who was the camp, her and her husband were the campus pastors when we had multiple campuses here at Lone Tree. And, um, you know, <laughs> most know the story that, that attend Jubilee, and I, I won't go back to that. But during the roughest part of it, when, when we were the only ones who knew, uh, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. And the fighting is just so intense. And uh, it, man, it was, it was brutal. You don't need to raise your hand, but if you've ever been through a divorce, you, you, it's brutal, man. And to think that there's winners, there's just losers in divorce. There, it's, it just, it's a hurtful thing. And she would come to our house and it would be, I don't know, nine, 10. It would seem like, you know, after they got the kids down for bed, things would just, they'd begin to heat up. And when it would get really bad, she would just, she'd come to our house. She had no place else to go. And, um, you know, open the door and you can just see that your kid is just, you know, it's my girl. And we'd bring her in and just sit down and just tears running down her face. And I remember one time, this is all that she just said, oh, dad. Oh, dad, nothing else had to be said. She didn't have to tell me what, oh, dad. Oh. She had my heart. She had my wallet. I'm not being funny. She had my attention. She had my help. I had her back. One word, look at me, one word, dad. What do you think this is when Jesus goes to the Father and says, Dad? Do you think that the Father knew without Jesus having to say anything else how much he was hurting right then? If you're a parent, 
you know the inflection of your kid's voice, don't you? You know what I've learned about moms? Moms can hear 15 kids crying and pick out their kid. Now, all I hear is, <laughs> but Chris can, she can pick out, when they were little, she can pick out our child's voice over the roar of your father hears your voice when you say dad and he cares. And if you're not experiencing the constant care that God has for you, the way he feels about you, I would say it probably starts in the fact that you're not relating to him as a father. You're probably relating to him more on the formal and God's inviting you. When Jesus is asked, teach us to pray, the great Lord's prayer that we've all been taught begins with the words, our Teach us to pray. Okay, here's how you approach God. Our Father. He could have used any word. Our Commander. Our Chief. Our Creator. Our... But he uses the informal and yet intimate term of our Father. Does that make sense? So this little Gethsemane prayer begins with that. Let, let me... I'll run out of time here. Uh, but remember, the timer was broken. It's the second one. <laughs> Jesus says this... Um, Father, if you will, take this away from me. It's always your right to ask God to take it away. It's always your right. You're always within your right in your relationship with your father to ask him to take it. What's the it? So I don't know how many people sit in this room this morning, but whatever, whatever that number is, that's how many different it's are in this room right now, right? Because it's, it's uh, how do you, like the thing that I would go to God about wouldn't be the thing that you would go to God about. And the thing that you would go to God about, I might look at it and go, that doesn't seem to be such a pressing thing. So like I share, you know, we want to go to Durango. Then we want to go out of state. And then we just want to go to the office. And then we just want to have church. And you might go, that's the extent of your problems over the last 10 days. <laughs> problems are relative, aren't they? Because you look at my problems and you think, what's the big deal? And I'll admit to you, they're first world problems. There's no question about that. But here's the problem. I live in the first world. So they're my problems. And they're things that they bother me and they make me feel constrained and I can't do what I want to go do. Yes, there are people that have worse problems. But if all we do is tell somebody, at least somebody has it worse than you do. How does that help? Yes, there are people in the world that have it worse than you do. But how does that help? Who cares? You always have the right to ask God to take your it away. And here's the most amazing thing. Listen to this. Our God is so merciful. He is so loving. He is so kind. Our God is so good that sometimes when you say, God, if you're willing, take this away, God will take it away. Have you ever experienced that? But then here's the other side of that coin. Sometimes God doesn't answer that prayer with a yes. Sometimes it's God's will to leave you in a situation because it will change you. It will make you more than you are right now. You will know God in a way that you cannot know him any other way except to go through a difficulty. I'll give you an example. Um, I mentioned I only know three people that have gotten this dreaded COVID. One of the people, it's a family in our church, a husband, a wife, and their children. And he owns a business with many employees. And they were an essential business. So when the whole thing started, he's going to work. And, and God's just like pouring out blessing. It's just, I, he would call me to check on me. That's how good he was doing. 
right? How are you doing today, pastor? Just praying for you, man. We're rocking and rolling over here. Keep the faith. I'm like, who's the pastor? You keep the faith. I got the faith. (laughs) And so here was his prayer. He told me this on the phone three days ago. Here was his prayer. God, please keep us from getting this disease. God, please watch over us and protect. He's doing all, I plead the blood of Jesus and put up a hedge of protection and God keep this thing away from my household. And he's quoting Psalms 91. And then people in his work get exposed and he gets exposed. He gets it, his wife gets it, and all of his children get it. Now here's the good news. None of them died. And yes, I know I am not minimizing that people have died from this, but if you, all you do is watch the media, dude, they have convinced fear, 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 bad, 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 terrible, terrible, all day long. And if the only trough that you're getting your information from is what the national media is saying, I bet your mindset is just, ah, and you've got to get a report that goes better than what's God's promise in the middle of this right now. So my friend James tells me, John, I'm praying that God will keep this. And then it happens. And he said, my immediate thing was, I felt so let down. I felt like God didn't answer my prayer. I felt like he was using us in order to be like a beacon of light. That we're going to go through this thing and show people that if you love God, this thing won't come near your dwelling. And then we all get it. And we go through this time of just like what happened to us. And then he said this to me. He said, I'm so glad. Listen to this that God did not answer my prayer because he said, my family right now is absolutely on fire for Jesus. He said, my business is more blessed than we've ever been. And here's what he actually called me for. Would you let me stand up and tell people that no matter what happens, God is able to take a curse and turn it into a blessing. And I'm like, well, I'll think about it. Keep the faith. And sometimes we just think, God, take me out of the situation. Keep bad things from happening. God, I don't want to go through anything difficult. And sometimes God is so gracious that he goes, okay, I'll take you out of it. And sometimes he says, I'm going to make you go right through it. Now, I knew when I, when I wrote what I'm about to read to you, no one was going to cheer. So let me just say it this way. Do you have room in your theology to suffer? Here's what I think people think when I say that. Like, if I don't say amen, then it won't happen to me. In fact, if I don't breathe, it will just kind of pass by me, and this will never happen. Can I just say to you, whether you acknowledge what I said or not, you may still have to deal with difficult things at times. It is always your right to ask God to take it away. In the Lord's Prayer, part of the prayer was, deliver us from It's always right to ask God to do that. But sometimes God doesn't pull you out of it. He pushes you through it. I know nobody was going to shout about that. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove to you that you're willing to do this. You just, you have a misconceived idea about what I mean. In 2 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, Verse 18 through 25. It's just seven verses. I don't have time to tell the whole story. King David is fighting the arch enemy of Israel, the Philistines. So over and over in David's life, 
from the time he's 17 years old to the time he dies, an old, old king, at different points, David was fighting the Philistines. Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistine armies always seemed to come and plague Israel. And David was a great champion for Israel when he would battle the Philistines. So we have a story here about David battling the Philistines twice, but God taking different tactics in how he routed the enemy. And the only reason I want to point this to you, God doesn't do the same thing every time. Sometimes he has different ways to win. So the Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Raphium. So David asked the Lord, should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So David went to Baal Perazim. Now, hold on. We read that because we don't speak Hebrew. We're missing a really important understanding of this story. The word Baal Perazim means God burst through like a flood. So whenever God would do something for Israel, they would either name a person or a place about the event of God doing good. Why? Because then every time they referred to that place, they reminded themselves of what God did for them to give them victory. So the word Baal-perazim means God came through like a flood. And I'll explain. So David went to Baal-perazim and defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. That means Baal-perazim. So they changed the name of the place to God came through and destroyed our enemies like a flood. Wouldn't you love for God to do that every time on your behalf? God, this traffic is annoying me. Okay. So he burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So David named the place Baal-perazim, which means the Lord who bursts through, the Lord who comes through like a flood. Now look at this. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there. So David and his men confiscated them, their gold and their silver, and they're going to melt them down, right? They get beat so bad. They run away so fast that they leave all their belongings. That's getting beat pretty bad. Do you agree? Okay, let me show you the height of insanity then, right here. So David and his men confiscated them. But after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley of Raphium. How stupid do you need to be? I thought this was very funny. But apparently you're not... They get beat so bad, they leave behind everything, and then they come back to the same place and do the same thing. The height of insanity is to do the same thing and think it's going to get a different result. I have a different sense of humor apparently. So (laughs) pass on you. And again, David asked the Lord second time what to do. And look at God's direction this time. Do not attack them straight on. The Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind them, attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the top of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. Hold on. Don't go to the next scripture. What is this right here? So before, God just had them go out and head on, hit them, and I'm going to just, I'm going to devastate them on behalf of Israel. But this time, God has a different plan. Instead of going head on, circle around them and then stand there and wait. And when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees, it's going to bring such confusion to the enemy. They're going to think they're being attacked from the front, and that's when you come in behind. And for once and all, we're going to get them. What's that marching sound? Now look, 
I'm going to go out on a limb here. I can't prove this. If you're like, theologically, prove it. I cannot. I'm going to tell you what I think it is. I think God sent angels. And that's the sound that they heard. The, mar- the Bible says that there are two kinds of angels. There are messengers and there are warring angels. I think these are warring angels that are on Israel's side. And they heard the sound. You couldn't see it, but you could hear it. And God surrounded the enemy and took them out. Here's my point. God doesn't always do it the exact same way. Sometimes he has you circle around, wait, go through it. it he, as long as you win, does it matter? Are you willing to go through it? Are you willing? <laughs> as long as you win. The last one, and I'll just close with this as quick. The last part of that prayer is just simply your will be done. Um, so I don't know what this is. Somehow, I think it's because we, we misunderstand Jesus's prayer in the garden. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, take it from me, but not my will, your will be done. Somehow, we look at that story and we think God's will will be the opposite of what we would will. And so God's will is really a terrible thing ultimately. Okay, I'll do it, but it's not what I would choose to do. And it's messed up our theology because the reason I think that this story is in here and what really is going on, Jesus is about to go through a really difficult time and he realizes how difficult it's gonna be and it's far more difficult than what you and I go through. He suffered so you and I don't have to suffer. He died so you and I don't have to die. So Jesus realizes the whole reason for him coming to the earth is for this moment right here. I'm about to lay down my life. And he knows how difficult it's going to be. So he begins to pray, Father, if there's any other way, please take this from me. But God, God, I'm not giving up and just like, okay, but your will be done. Here's what Jesus is doing. God, I do not demand that you align yourself to my will. God, I will align myself to your will because your will be done. It's the best thing in this situation, and that's what I know. This may hurt. I may have to suffer a little bit, but the best outcome is your will happening in my life. Do you believe that? God's will is not some second choice. Okay, the thing that I wanted didn't really work out, so I'll just go ahead and I'll confine myself to God's will. Ho-hum, Eeyore, knock it off. God's will is the best possible outcome of any situation. If you love God, give yourself fully to God. Allow yourself to go through the situation. As long as you win, is it okay? And by the way, I asked you a moment ago, is there room in your theology for suffering for someone else's purposes? I bet you do it and you don't even realize what I'm asking you. If you're a parent, I bet you have suffered for your child many times. I bet you've given up sleep. I bet you've given up money. I bet you've given up comfort. I bet you've gone on vacations that they wanted to go to, not the one you wanted to go. I bet you found yourself in the middle of Disneyland going, what the heck am I doing here? (laughs) I bet you have gone to conferences. I bet you have gone to sporting events. I bet you've done all sorts of things with your time that you wouldn't have done, but you're willing to suffer to make sure that they're okay. So this last Wednesday, 3.30 in the morning, man, I'm snoozing. And I wake up, and I don't wake up like I'm rubbing the sleep out of my eyes or I'm like, where am I? I wake up wide awake, sit up in bed, 
And a picture of my brother Steve is on my mind. And my brother Steve works for a, um, an agency of the government that I don't, he can't even say what he does exactly. And his schedule is this really cruddy schedule where he's pulled away a lot and he works just, he works out at Buckley and just, I, so he's seldom ever able to be here, but he tells me that he watches online all the time. So I'm going to check right now to see if he really does. <laughs> so I work up Wednesday, 3.30 in the morning and my brother is just in my mind and I go, God, what is it? And he says, just start praying for your brother right now. So I don't know what it is and I don't know how to pray. So I just like, God, just protect my brother and keep my brother. Deliver my brother from evil right now. I don't know what's lurking. I don't know what's attempting. I don't know what's trying. God never told me. And you know what? I didn't get up the next morning and call him. Ooh, the devil's out to get you, man. I, don't do that kind of thing. He didn't even know that I was praying for him. But for 30 minutes, I'm just up. I'm praying. I'm, I'm just crying out for Jesus to watch over him and protect him. And if any one of you have an intercession that's ever come on you, I, for about 30 minutes it lasts. I can't go back to sleep. And then it's gone like that. And I lay down and I go right back to sleep. It's over with. What was that? I have no idea. Other than I'm willing to lose sleep. I'm willing to suffer so that my brother will be okay. Is there room in your theology to suffer so that someone else will be okay. Will you go through this time right now and not lose your marbles to show other people that you're going to be okay? Amen. Show up at church. Worship God. Don't lose your heart, your faith, your strength. Stay in that good place, man. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I've prayed God take it away. But for some reason, he's chosen to leave us right in the middle of it, hasn't he? And the only report that I see is the media telling death and fear and bad. Wouldn't it be like God's people to be saying, look, nobody likes this, but God is still in control right now. And you're going to be okay. Stay in that good place with God. Instead of demanding that the Father align with you, are you willing to suffer and align yourself with God? And that's the message. And the difference between the two things, demanding that God align with you or you aligning yourself with God, the difference between those two things, one is death and one is life. When you just say, God, your will is not second choice, it's first choice. The life of God comes to you and the grace of God is there. You, know, you can do anything with God's grace on your side. How do you know you're operating in God's grace or not? If you're not operating in God's grace, you're tired all the time. You're worn out. You're doing it in your own strength, your own ability. You're angry. God has not given you a spirit of anger. God has not given you a spirit of fear. God has not given you a spirit of division. God has given you a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Do you agree with that? Right? Okay, I have no idea... So that thing says I'm 10 minutes late, but I'm going to say I'm five minutes late because I don't think it's correct. <laughs> so that's, that's it. It's not even 1030. So Lord, I love you. I thank you for the opportunity to serve you. And God, just together, we align ourselves to your will. Uh, not our will, but your will be done, God. And Father, it's always all right to ask you to take it away. 
But when we determine that you're just not taking it away and that we're just going to have to go through that thing, then Father, we align ourselves to your will fully. Not as second chance, second choice, second fiddle, second chair. God, it's the first thing in our life. We align ourselves to you. You can use us. You can trust us. Church, can he trust you? You can have confidence in us, God. We have it in you, but you can have it in us. We're your people, and we align ourselves to you, God. And we thank you for your faithfulness right now. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. On your seat were the communion elements, and if you would grab that, do me a favor. The top piece is just simply clear plastic. Pull that back and get the wafer and hold on to it. And then pull the foil back so that it exposes the wine, the juice. This is interesting. Maybe this will help connect a few dots real quickly. Here's what the Bible tells us in Corinthians about um, the night that Jesus taught the disciples about the Lord's Supper. The Bible says, listen to the wording. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he took the bread. Can you imagine on your worst possible moment when everything seems like it's out of control? I don't know about you. When I find myself like in my worst possible moment, the last thing that I think about is other people. I think about me. Are you like that? But here's our Jesus. On the night he's betrayed, he takes the bread and he takes the cup and he says, love each other and care for each other. And this is what it's all about. So man, in the moment where you just feel like, what is going on? And it just is all out of control. Here's Jesus. Okay, take this. It's all going to be okay. I'm with you and I'm for you. I haven't forgotten about you. My promise is still in effect. Everything's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Jesus isn't saying fear, 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 death, death, death. He's saying it's okay. It's going to be okay. Everything's still, it's good. You're mine. It's good. It's good. So he takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it out to the disciples. And he tells them, this is my body broken for you so that yours doesn't need to be broken. So every time you take this, take me into yourself and remind yourself of my great love, my great care, how much I think about you and the fact that I'm coming to get you. So if you find yourself just like, God, what is going on? And God, I just can't seem to, I'm losing my mind right now. (laughs) You're not. It's okay. It's going to be okay. So when you take this into yourself, take in peace and take in joy and take in righteousness. Take in whatever you need from God right now. Let's eat together. Then the Bible says in the same manner, he lifted the cup to the father and he thanked the father for the cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood, which is being shed or spilt for you. And sometimes we can get lost in the wording and not really understand, but the only covenant that's an unbreakable, like eternal covenant were blood covenants. 
these aren't like documents that you sign or promises that you make. It's, it's God on his behalf saying, regardless of what you do, I'm going to give my life for you. So this covenant is still in effect. It's still good. It's still ratified because Jesus signed it with his blood. Nothing can break it. Nothing can take it away. Nothing <laughs> makes it yesterday's news. It's still as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. And it still has all the power and all the promises that come with his covenant towards you. His protection is in this. His life is in this. Salvation is in this. His constant care for you is in this right here. This proves that God cares for you. So when you take this into yourself, man, take in God's care and his promises and remind yourself who has the higher authority in your life. It's not the media. It's not a disease. It's not a circumstance or a culture or a situation. The higher authority in your life, if you're a believer, is our God. Amen? Amen. Let's take it into ourselves. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and your kindness, your goodness. God, remind us who we are to you, what you're doing with us, and that when it's all said and done, God, you haven't called us to lose. You called us to win in this because you win. And God, I just thank you for that. God, give encouragement to your people this weekend. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, folks. Pastor.